guy named Bartholomew kind of took us over, right? And uh, he told us, he told us that uh, all the things he learned as he was a disciple of Jesus, all the things he witnessed and, and saw. And so we know that God can change, uh, that God can change anyone, but we also learned that Bartholomew told us if we're not praying for not yet believers or the lost, then we're only pretending to be on mission. Just pretending. Bartholomew was kind of tough on us, huh? And then the, the, the task was to sign up to maybe help out some schools or think about how to get yourself involved in missions, right? And then lastly, Pastor Ron talked about being connected, how we challenge us that we need to be there for each other, that we need to seek each other out, our brothers and sisters, help them out. And we can do things together so we know that we need each other. And then the, the thrust was to see that everyone's in the mosaic, sometimes it's small group Bible study. Today we're going to talk about discipleship. And a couple years ago we took a survey called the Reveal Survey. And on my own, I took the, we had a meeting, a follow-up meeting, and there was a bunch of notes that people sat around the table to talk about. And so this survey just made, just asked us a bunch of questions about our church. And what I did is I highlighted things that seemed to be a theme. What kept reoccurring? And one thing that kept reoccurring was this idea. And let me tell you, I went to the elders meeting, and Carrie was doing the same thing, only he wrote it down as a list. So you got two elders who weren't talking to each other about it, came together with the same thing, and we both came up with the same conclusion that we all at that time kind of agreed and said, we're super educated, but we're not very motivated. It didn't seem like we were kind of doing stuff on our own, but maybe not together, not under the guidance of the church. And so today I think it's very, very important. So let's pray. Dear Lord, dear Jesus, thank us. I thank you. Thank you for being able to help us to do the things that you did and the things that you are famous for. Lord, you saved us from our sin. And God, we know that you saved us to something as well. You saved us to follow your pattern of life. Lord, we need a lifestyle that is centered and consumed by making disciples who love and obey you. Fix our hearts, Lord, and our mindset to adjust our lives to live out your strong calling on our lives. Amen. Amen. By the way, this is my discipleship shirt. This is the shirt I wear when I make disciples. So if I'm talking to somebody about Jesus, I tell them, hold on, and then I change the shirt. So if you say I'm underdressed, I will tell you I am perfectly well dressed. Okay. So what is a disciple? Let's get a working definition. And that's a very complicated question, but we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna go right in. One thing I want you to know that it's very uh, normal to be a disciple. It's almost like humans are made to be disciples. We learn, and as we learn, we share and teach, and then we learn again, we, we construct, and we take our ideas. So everyone kind of is being disciple in a way. But Jesus has a great commission, it's very clear, it says to make disciples. So what does he mean? He says make people, what that means is make people into followers of Jesus. You have to make them into followers of Jesus. Now Jesus was the original disciple maker, so who do you think we should look at for that? We should look at his methodology, we should look at how he does it. And that's what really what we need to do today. Question, can someone be a disciple of Jesus without also being a disciple maker of and for Jesus? Can someone be a disciple of Jesus and they don't make disciples? I think the answer is, what happened to most of us at conversion when we became or we made that decision to follow the Lord? And we put it in us to follow Him. You guys know this idea of counting the cost. 
We kind of knew that when we became believers, we were saved from our sin, but we were also saved to be like Jesus. Like, that's the main goal, to be more and more like Jesus. But Luke 14, 25 and 28, it says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Don't rationalize it. When you become a believer, when you become a disciple, it's everything. It's holistic. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So it's not a... It's not something that you struggle with in terms of your desire. Your desire is to give up and to be what Jesus asked you to be. So our obedience is necessary in terms of the Great Commission. It just doesn't happen all on its own. You know? God uses us and we need to be obedient. He chooses to use us. So disciple-making, guys, is built into the contract of being a disciple. If one is a disciple of Jesus, they will be a disciple-maker. Now, when Jesus was here on earth, wherever he went, that's where the presence of God was, wherever he went. But now that Jesus has ascended, where is the presence of God? The presence of God is in his disciples. When we walk around, where we go, what we walk into, we are the presence of God here on earth. So what is a disciple? It's someone who wholeheartedly follows the life and example of Jesus. I did not say perfectly, said wholeheartedly. You know, that's your intention. That's what your heart desires. A disciple makes Jesus' great commission their mission. Recently I was offered a job where I would be a math coach for an area, and you can ask my wife, the first question is, how will this affect our discipleship abilities. You know? This job is asking for super long hours, sometimes weekends. So that's the first question. Um, great commission is my mission. That's it's our family's mission. It's our mission. That's a big question. It's always forefront. A disciple desperately seeks to be like Jesus. A disciple is so committed to the cause of Christ that they would die for it. And I know a lot, a lot of us, we think about martyrs with that, or we might even think about if someone came in and there was a crazy situation, would I be willing to say Jesus' name when they told me not to or something like that? But I think the, the tougher one for me, the devil would be kind of thinking the future, kind of plan out what you think you would do in that situation. But the tougher one for me personally is, do I die for the sake of Jesus every day? Right? Even in the little things. When I get into an argument, when there's an opportunity to share, do I do that? Do I die myself and do that? A disciple finds their entire identity, purpose, and meaning in Jesus. He defines where they live, what they do, how they act, friendships, relationships. He defines all of that. And they're dedicated every day to living out their life for him. Today we're going to look at a passage where Timothy and Paul, and Paul's writing to 
Timothy, he's telling him how you do, what's it look like. So we know what a disciple is, what does it look like. So if you would turn me in your Bible to 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. I also will have it up. It's also going to be up there. And I'll add an emphasis on uh, certain words, because those words are what we're going to uh, focus on focus on today. Jaden, you can Here it reads. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. Share your suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets a table in civilian pursuit, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who will have the first share of Christ. Think over what I said, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. First word there, child. Son of God. Child of God. That's where it starts. You're a real child of God. How can you start doing what disciples do? You are a genuine child of God. And how did that happen? By grace. Everything begins with the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And we're not talking about decisionism, where people uh, just kind of made a decision, they just made a choice when they were young. And some person signed their Bible and said, if anyone ever tells you you didn't you know, make this decision, you know, it might be the devil lying to you, you know? We're talking about your life has been, since that decision, since that conversion, you've seen the grace of Jesus grow in you. You've seen that grow in your life. You've seen yourself become changed. You are a changed person. You are transformed. And remember, we're not just saved from sin. It's not just that. Think about it. Why did Jesus live the years that he lived all those other years? Well, there's a lifestyle of righteousness there as well. And all of that gets imputed into our account. So we're saved for something as well. And what we're saved for is good works. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're saved for good works. It's not about just getting your get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, I'm not going to hell. You're saved to something as well. That's what we're working toward. That's what sanctification is doing. Next thing, you see the you and me. The discipleship has a you and me into it. It has a you and me. Paul and Timothy. You see other groups or other pairs in the Bible. And you see groups in the Bible. You see households in the Bible. So this looks many different ways. One way I would encourage everybody is this. Find an older believer. Older meaning more mature in the faith. Doesn't necessarily have to be age. Find someone older in the faith, more mature in the faith, to pour into you. And those people who are older in the faith, you know, if you have grandkids, or you have priorities in your family, you got to fix that so that if people from the church come and say, hey, I need an older person to disciple me, or someone who's more mature to disciple me, you have to adjust your schedule. Or you bring them along to what you're doing. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. We also, got this older person, we also need to have a peer. Somebody that's kind of where we are. So we can kind of iron sharp as iron. We can help each other grow. You need that as well. We see examples of that in the scriptures. And then lastly, I think you need to work with people who are younger. You need 
about discipleship, making people into followers of Jesus, the people who are younger. I do want to say that our Sunday school time is just filled to the brim. We got extra people. We got some people who I want to give them once a week, and they said I want twice a week. So now I got a good problem. So I know one time I was up here talking smack about that, but now I have to say sorry. Now it's all covered and extra, and I got people waiting on the way to come in too. So I'm glad that people are having more kids around the church. We'll be ready for you. We'll be ready for you. Okay? Another thing, the disciple must invest their life. They must invest their life. That word in trust you see there, that's a banking term. It means to put into someone's care for protection. So whatever you've learned, whatever you've discovered about this walk, you're supposed to put it into someone else so they can care for that and they can do it. And then what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to do the same. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. Someone once told me, uh, don't be a spiritual hog. Don't be a spiritual pig hogging up all, the, all your knowledge. If you know something, <laughs> tell others. Don't just hog it all up and keep it for yourself. You know? I always thought that was kind of crazy, but it made sense to me, right? As soon as you learn something, tell other people about it, right? If I'm in my Bible, and if I'm praying, and I have something I probably was thinking about or meditating on, feel free to share that. I've been really good at that so much that a lot of people at work, they never really ask me how I'm doing. They just say, what's up? <laughs> and I work with me, so I'm like, what's up? But if they ask me how I'm doing, they know they're going to get it, so they just say, what's up? Or they not. And I like that too. So that works for me too. Okay? The disciple is entrusted to teach the truth. Teach. Now what does this word teach mean? If you want someone to just learn something or know about it, then it would look like a curriculum or just a classroom. But if you want someone to be made, what would you do? If you want their whole lifestyle to change, it would become way bigger than just a curriculum or a class on Saturday nights. It would be, we need to hang out. We need to see what I'm going to do when my wife and I get to argue. You can see my house there and see what we could, right? It becomes much more. It means you need to be with me, be with me, me and you. We need to be together or a couple of y'all and me, right? I remember when I was in ICI, we took a class and I... I got set up and said, discipleship class, giving us a class, right? And then after a couple of weeks, they said, okay, you guys seem to be learning, okay? Now part of this class is that you'll be giving the class. And I was in eighth grade at 13. And they said, now when, we're, when we've been teaching you guys, there's going to be, there's some third and fourth grade believers who uh, we want you guys to teach them what we've been teaching you. So they were like, we're not going to give you any money from the budget. Because you guys need to learn how to sacrifice and figure this out. So this was that inner city impact. So my friend Zachary Strother and my friend Brian Guy, who now has a conference that is about discipleship, we, we created a group and we got some t-shirts and this group was called Homies for Christ. Yeah. Homies was a cool word back then. And then on the back, we picked the verse your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The living is too far. And uh, my wife found this out of the closet one day, and I love it ever so much more than that. <laughs> it don't fit me anymore, does it? 
is whatever we learn, we would sorry. Whatever we learn, we would teach it to these kids. And they said, they, they asked us, Paul, what were some things that were very meaningful in your walk? I said, well, when you guys would take us on visitation and visit different people's homes and go in and talk to parents and families and, and things like that. He said, well, you guys can do that too. So I'm an eighth grader walking around with a third grader, you know, a group of us, the homies of Christ, all got on our shirt, walking through the hood. And we go inside, we talk to the kids, invite them to the club, invite them to this, talk to parents, pray for them. And these third and fourth graders were learning the same thing. It was a group of four of them, the three leaders. So it was really cool. And I think that's how it's supposed to kind of be. That as you're being taught, as you're learning, you're learning how to teach. And that's what that word disciple means. Another example is because, uh, of this is, think about parenting. A lot of parenting, we know, is basically the way your kids learn stuff is through lifestyle, right? Through as you're living. I know sometimes we can get caught up in curriculum, and then another one for parents, it can be devotions. There's like this huge guilt. Oh, I didn't have a devotion with my kid this day. Oh, I didn't have a devotion with my kid this day. And it becomes kind of weird, and it might be a couple months and stuff. But I want to challenge you to, you know, definitely devotions are important. But you need to be looking for devotional moments or teaching moments everywhere you go. You know, everywhere you go. Uh, for some reason, I have a crazy, there's a crazy habit in my life where anybody who should not be talking to other people, they want to talk to me. We talk about weirdest situations, things, all the time. Now, I can tell you guys, they just see me out of the crowd, they go talk to me, right? And I, I talk to the kid, to, to the kid or the person or the teenager, and my kid would be like, who was that? And I was like, I don't know, but this is what I did, right? So you just kind of break it down, you kind of share that. One time I was walking to school and I had a situation like that. My student said, what happened? I started loving him that. I said, well, for some reason, he's just crying, I have to know what And so you got to my students, right? So that's what you do. As you're going about life, as they see what you're doing, you just have them jump on along. If, I wake, if they wake up in the morning and see me reading my Bible, well, we talk about it. You sit on my lap, we read it out loud, right? So as you get those opportunities, go ahead and feel free to jump in. Now Paul gives Timothy some pictures, and these pictures are for us too, and you know what these mean, so this shouldn't be too hard for us to understand. He says a disciple is like a soldier. What does a soldier do? They're willing to suffer. They're willing to work with their comrades, right? What else? They don't get entangled with civilian affairs. They don't get entangled with all those all other things. They have a certain job they have to do, and they want to please their superior. So what does that look like in our lives? Are you entangled with things in the world? You gotta get rid of them. You gotta get rid of them. You have to be willing to please your sir, superior. You have to be willing to suffer. What kind of soldier doesn't fight? You gotta fight. You know? Some of us are so comfortable. Sometimes I sit on my couch, I feel real guilty. I'm not in this couch, it's a brand new. We just got it two months ago. My wife and I, we were just saying, it's like, you know, we're living a little too good. Maybe I need to give that thing away or something. At least one of them. But <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think we need to be willing to suffer and not suffer for, you know, any randomly, but suffer for, um, for the sake of discipleship. Next, an athlete, what does an athlete do? They compete, they're aggressive. Some of us need to work on our aggression, you know, jump on those moments, read into stuff, figure it out, 
You guys know that some of the greatest people of the faith, like I know one, Mr. Whitfield, I was reading about him in a biography, and it said that he had like a notebook of conversations he's had with people who were not yet converted or not yet disciples of Jesus. And he would write down where he left off in his conversations with them so he can remember what they talked about and move on to the next step. So he was planning. He was figuring this stuff out. Just like an athlete plans their routine and figures out what's going to get them on peak condition. There's a lot, and that's more than one person. I've read many stories like that where they kind of figured it out like a mechanism of planning a schedule with this thing. It's pretty amazing. I read about another person who said, you have 21 meals in a week, right? Seven days a week times three. How many of those are you willing to give towards, you know, reaching out? Sowing some seed. Uh, and I realize I'm just using a lot of kind of Christianity words here, Christianese words, but uh, how many of those are you willing to give for the sake of maybe meeting with someone who doesn't know God yet? Can you give up three? Can you give up four? You know, I'm too busy. Stop lying. They say the president go golf, and I'm too busy. You all right? We got time. You don't want to make the time. Now that's you know that's something else. But nobody here is that busy. I'm sorry. I got four kids. I know I'm not busy. Those kids go to bed. Go to bed. You got some time now? <laughs> I'm just sick of it. You hear a lot of people say I'm too busy. Stop playing. Just stop playing. You're not. How are you too busy to do the most important thing? You know, your teeth got brushed. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. What about the farmer? They work hard. They work hard. Why? Because they want that harvest, right? Do we work hard? Do you work hard? That's what the picture looks like. You have to be a hard-working farmer. And ultimately, if you don't understand anything I'm saying today, what does that last part say? God will give you an understanding, so you're okay. <laughs> but you know, like that guy's going random, whatever. Uh, it's okay. You read the Bible through the year, God got you. All right. We're coming, we're coming towards where I want to kind of land some things here. And this will be more focused on Jesus, guys. So, there's an acronym that's created by this guy named Neil Cole, church planner of hundreds of churches throughout the, throughout the world, house churches, real small churches, but they're around. David, you can put the next one. And this acronym is uh, DNA. So what, is the, what is the makeup? One thing that you need to know about DNA, if there's something disconnected in the DNA or if it's not the way it's supposed to be, it causes retardation. And so I think that retardation is, you know, there's slower or something going wrong, right? So one thing that I was thinking about, I was like, what kind of slows us, uh, what kind of slows us maybe at, at good news? I think if I had to look at these three things, I said, I think one of our biggest ones is we definitely receive a lot of truth, right? We definitely receive uh, teaching from the scripture. But if you only had that part of the DNA, or that one is so heavily focused on, what happens to the other two? Sometimes we don't get those. We don't do that as much. And so it kind of causes like a stall on what's going on. So I just want to kind of share about these three, and then I'm pretty much out of here, okay? So divine truth. What does 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17 tells us? It says, you, how, 
You, however, same book that we were just looking at. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, this I'm not sure, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life of Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Don't rationalize that. While evil people and the crosses will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been equated with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How did Jesus do this? God, he spoke to them about the scriptures. And did you notice what the disciples would do? They would hear him preaching, and they said, uh, we need to have a side conversation. I don't understand what you were talking about. And what did Jesus do? He broke it down. So there's one thing about standing up here, but then there's you know, is there going to be a text that someone needs to know more? someone want to see it more? I need to be willing as the person who got up here to say, yeah, there is more. Come on over. Let's talk about it. Let's, you know, let me give you something to read. You'd be able to do that. Every elder, every person standing up here needs to have that mentality. And every single one of you all, as you, as you talk to people, you know the word. You need to have that mentality as well. That you can speak to anyone about the scriptures. You've got to know it. You've got to consume large amounts of scripture. Keep reading. They say 12 minutes a day, you go through it, right? You go through it in a year, you know? That's not that large, but we've got we to do that. Jesus remained close to them as he was their curriculum. The curriculum is not, the curriculum of God's word is, is God's word, but how do you best learn that as you see it live down, right? It's just a thousand words, but what's a lifestyle? What the lifestyle means, right? But you have to see that kind of live down. That's what Jesus did. He spoke about stuff. He showed stuff. He modeled stuff first. Then he, he told them about it. We have to do the same. Jesus spent more time with them, teaching them, as the ministry grew. As Jesus' name grew more and more, he actually spent more time with his disciples. There's actually a time where he's, he, uh, if there's a big crowd following, and then he goes away. And goes to pray. He slips away. What do you think that taught the disciples? They learned about prayer that He learned about the truth that way. Jesus exhibited prayer and related to God. He showed them what it meant to have a relationship with God. You know, they woke up in the morning, and Jesus not there. They said, man, he did it again. This guy always leaves. What, which mountain is it? Where did he go? He's going to go find this guy again. You know, he always talking about following me. He should have woke us up. Right? <laughs> So Jesus' disciples would wake up and Jesus was gone. He was gone. And they learned from that. You can see that because when you start studying Acts, they're always devoted to prayer. They just are. That's how, that's how it is. Again, nurturing relationships. We're talking about the way of life. How did Jesus show this? Well, let's look at Mark 3, 14. Look what it says. Look at the wording. Because this is what it means. Jesus ordained twelve that they should be with him. Two verbs there, right? Ordain and then be. We call that a verb of existence. We almost messed up that phrase. I haven't learned the other day. But the verb of existence, that means be. 
word we. So they want to be with them. This essence, this essence with them. So what did Jesus do? He chose people. He chose to transform teachable, normal people. Isn't that amazing? When I was being discipled as a kid at ICR, I had two parents that were in some rough things. I was just a normal kid from the neighborhood, you know? It wasn't like a standard I had to reach before people would share with me, you know? Um, I was a normal person. That's what we look for. We look at just regular people. Anybody. Anybody can be a victim of discipleship. Okay? Uh, Jesus proportioned his life to those he wanted to train. He set his life up. If you want to stop you have to set your life up. It won't happen automatically. In fact, Satan and your flesh will find ways to have this plan stuff where it doesn't happen. Number one way is if you have a life set up where you're never around people who are not yet believers, I mean, that just, that doesn't make sense at all. How would you ever make a disciple if you're always around other disciples, right? You can further people's discipleship when they're following the Lord, but how would you find anyone new? You know, you just wouldn't. Uh, Jesus helped the multitude, but he focused on the few. Jesus made a practice of being with them. He hung out with them. And some of the disciples seemed pretty annoying, didn't they? But he still was with them. He dealt with some of their spiritual immaturity, but he did have a standard that he called them to and expected them to be. He expected them to be obedient. He expected them to be loyal. So when you're discipling people, you're looking for people, or when you're being discipled, you're looking to be faithful, available, teachable, and a learner. And lastly, the A, apostolic mission. Discipleship means we have to reach the world for God's glory. It means going out. The Great Commission tells us that. It says, all authority, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God, Jesus trained them, but not just to train them. He then sent them out. And then they came back and gave them feedback. He sent them out again. That's what you do. Remember what I was talking about when I was younger? When we were teaching the Bible study, there was a leader in the back with a clipboard looking at me like this. Right? Some of y'all know who that guy was, so he laughed in the heart. He was this English man. He always stood real tall. That's a women. But I needed that, right? So that I could get better, so I can maybe not see something that's incorrect. Jesus told them about the enemy. He didn't lie to them and said it was going to be an easy mission. He told them the truth. And so I want to tell you all the truth. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. You know, I think about some of the stuff that's going on at Chase. School, the school I work at, I teach at, been there 19 years. Some of the stuff's been fun and great, but some of the stuff's been really, really hard, you know? Uh, I'm going to a funeral that one of my former students, uh, he was a senior in high school at Jermaine, was shot and killed on Tuesday. And I had his cousin in one of my classes and his cousin in another one of my classes, right? So what do they do? A bunch of people from the school, Carlo, Carlo, what are we going to do? Because many, many times I've done former funerals of a former student. I've been able to minister in that way. That's, that's not fun. You know, the kid who just had a funeral three, four years ago. 
None of, the, none of you expected to teach a sermon or to preach or set up the thing. Sometimes even our church has been available to take you in these situations. So I pray God that it was not easy. Death, famine, sickness, it's all this stuff that happened. You have the demons all have a friend and beings who left. They leave. They think that they're there and they leave. That's happened as well. Jesus teamed them up two by two. Two by two, three. That's a good number. And you don't want to go into some of these situations alone. Jesus gave himself to provide salvation from sin. And our loved 12-year-old Jesus can teach us a lot about discipleship. Remember when they found him in the temple, what did they say? Where were you? And he said, he said, basically it translates, I was about my father's business. If you just learn that part, you're on it. You're on it, you know. I'm just about my father. That's what 12-year-old Jesus said. You know? So I want you guys to think about this. What divine truth, what Bible story or scripture was it that really helped you build in your walk with the Lord? For me, it was when God ran. The story of the prophet's son. I remember hearing that story. When I heard that story, I became a believer that day. And I'll tell you what, I become a believer every day I think about that story. But if God could run, Better be running too. Right? What relationship, what nurturing relationship was it? Well, in the Bible, when I saw David and Jonathan, it reminded me of my friend Zach and Brian. We were disciples together. We did Home to Christ together. We've grown up together. We did Christmas together. Our families are together. And I saw David and Jonathan. I said, I want that. And that's my group. So when I make the crazy, Lane Tech with all this stuff that was going on, I was okay because I had my I had my guys. And I would say, man, I was invited to this. And they said, this, don't do that, Lord, so we pray with you. They hang out with you, right? I also remember Jesus washing his disciples' feet. That story sticks out so much. What a nurturing servant leader. And then lastly, what mission compels you? I know for me, it's been in humble part. You know, my goal when I was a disciple, they told me, you're going you're gonna to get trained up, we want you to come right back up, right back to your country. And so that's exactly what I did. I'm in this area, live in this area, we came right back and been in this area for the last 19 years. So I just want to ask, there's a famous evangelist named Billy Sunday. He became a believer at the Pacific Garden Mission. And he used to play baseball, but someone discipled him so well, he gave up baseball and became a preacher. He was a great evangelist. And he was famous for his one line. So I want to give you this one line. He says, going to church services doesn't make you a disciple of Jesus any more than going to a garage makes you a couple. So I just want to ask, are we students who will not apply what we have learned? Are we going to do that? Are we a soldier who's not going to fight? or join any army? Are we going to be teachers? The ability to teach, we know so much. But we don't have a classroom to students. Are we going to be a farmer who won't tell, who won't harvest? Are we going to be an actor who refuses to compete? I don't want to play, folks. Who refuses to train? You see, fans of Jesus, they live like the world, but disciples live like Jesus. Fans of Jesus focus on their interests, their priorities, but disciples are focused on Jesus. Fans of Jesus go to church. Disciples of Jesus 
they know that they are the church. They act like they're wherever they go. Fans of Jesus are involved in the mission. I'm involved. When people say you're involved in church, you know what that's code for, right? That's code for what's your good thing that you do so that you can feel okay for all the naughty stuff that you do. Don't answer that question and say you're involved in church. You're like, I am church. As a believer, I believe I'm, I am church. I'm part of a community. I'm not just involved. This is my life. I like to say I'm a church boy through and through. When people ask me to do stuff, I say, no, I'm a church boy. Right? That's who I am. I am. Okay, I'm not just involved. But if I'm involved, I'm uninvolved. Lastly, fans of Jesus are just about a sentence of belief. But disciples are all about being. So I don't want you, I don't want you all to be fans. I don't want to be a fan. I don't want to be on a list where we think the church service is enough. We have to take what we know and pour it in. Find someone over, find a kid, find someone over. Let's pray. Dear God, you've taught us so much. We know a lot about your word, Lord. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to now uh, use that. Use everything you've taught us. But we've had some great moms. We've seen some people in our lives who really helped us understand what to do and how to live. And I pray, Lord, that ultimately we can become more and more like you and what you did and how you disciple, Lord, how you cared for the lost, how you help people come to know who you are and ultimately how you save people and save them so they can do good works. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen.